Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Would you be willing to make a prediction about who you think will win? <sighs> I hate making predictions. Next week, one of the most important races in U.S. politics will be more or less decided. I'm talking about the New York City Democratic mayoral primary. I don't know, man. I'm near Atlantic Station. I'm seeing the sign for crystal ball readings. If only we had a crystal ball to tell us who would win. I'm wondering if you do political predictions with your crystal ball. This is Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Tara Palmieri. Today, our producer Olivia Reingold is looking for answers all over New York City. You're that subway roaring? This is New York, baby. Welcome to the largest apple. And we have Politico's Sally Goldenberg. The City Hall Bureau Chief in Politico, New York. She recently broke a story that changed the course of the race. This is a crowded election that in a heavily left-leaning town will basically determine who's going to replace Bill de Blasio. He's the current mayor and former presidential candidate. Even if you're not following this closely, you probably have heard that Andrew Yang also tossed his hat in the race. Yep, that same Andrew Yang who also ran for president. The Yang Gang, you can't forget it. The Yang Gang for New York, Yang for New York, Yang for New Anyway. The primary is a major deal because Republicans rarely win, so whoever wins the Democratic primary will probably be the mayor. Even outside the Big Apple, everyone is watching because it's one of the most important races in U.S. politics, period. It's a nationally recognized job. It's just, I think it's considered one of the top jobs in politics in America after, like, governor of California and president. It's not just that they set policy that other cities then pick up on, but they have this bully pulpit and this platform that, you know, people really listen to. The winner will have a lot of power on Capitol Hill, the White House, all over the world. It's New York City, baby. You can be friendly with Chuck Schumer, who's from New York, of course. You can partner with AOC and other members of the delegation, Hakeem Jeffries. You know, they're prominent members of the delegation from New York. And this race is wild. I mean drama. There are characters. Every day feels like another plot twist. And we'll dive into that. Meanwhile, Olivia is still out there pounding the pavement, God bless her, interrogating characters all over the city. Andrew Yang. Who? <laughs> Andrew Yang. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. What do you know about him? Nothing. Good luck out there, and let me know if you make it to Brooklyn. That's where I am. So, let's start our journey into this race with Sally Goldenberg's good old-fashioned stakeout. You know, the kind you see in the movies? Real shoe-leather journalism? Yeah, so I once I started to really get, you know, suspicious that something was up. There was something suspicious with the current frontrunner for the job. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. He's been around for a long time in New York City politics, but somehow no one's really nailed down where the guy lives. 
and Eric had told New York One at the start of COVID that he was living in Borough Hall and he invited them in and he had like a mattress and his Nutribullet, you know, he's very healthy. So he makes like these healthy smoothies in the morning with all, you know, kale and so forth. Sally's like, huh? That's a little strange. Yeah, I thought it was a gimmick. I thought it was like, look how hard I'm working. And to be fair, like I... I have heard that he works really hard. Like, I'm certainly not implying he's not a hard worker, but that is just an odd thing to do when you live a couple miles away. You see, Adams owns property and is registered to vote in New York. He says he lives pretty close to Borough Hall, actually, but he sleeps at his office at night. He owns like a four-unit brownstone in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and he says he lives in the basement, and he took us all on this tour of the basement apartment. Which was very bizarre, by the way. (laughs) It was so bizarre. Like, it doesn't look, you know, first of all, he's vegan, and so in the fridge there was ranch dressing and salmon. And he said, well, my son stays here. But it also doesn't look like where he would live. Like, it's a windowless bedroom. It was really messy. And if he owns the whole unit, you know, the whole house, which he does, like, why not live in one of the, like, on the top floor instead of the basement? It looked like a young person's crash pad. Then things got even weirder. A local reporter goes and talks to Adam's neighbors in Bed-Stuy, and they're like, Eric who? Yeah, the guy who's on TV every day running for mayor? They've never seen him in their neighborhood. So that also kind of tipped me off. At this point, Sally started to wonder whether Eric Adams even lives in the city that he's hoping to run. So I was like, let me just see. I live, like, not too far from Borough Hall. He slept at Borough Hall in the early days of COVID. But did he ever leave? At, like, 11.45 p.m. on a Friday, it was Memorial Day weekend, I was like, let me just walk around the building and just see what's up. So one night, Sally goes there. She stakes it out. And, you know, the lights were on throughout the building, and the his government car was parked there, and it just looked like there was activity inside. And I was like, something's weird about this. They're working at, like, midnight of Memorial Day weekend on a Friday. The place doesn't quite look like you'd expect a city building to look after hours. I know because I actually live near this building. So Sally goes back the next night, and the night after that. I think four days in a row, I just would walk down there and take a stroll around the building and see if the lights were on and see if his car was there. And it always, that was always the case. One night, she actually sees Eric Adams get out of his car and walk into the building. Just happened to be, you know, at the same time, I saw him go into the building and it was, again, it was somewhere in the 11 o'clock hour. His campaign tells her, well, he's going to work at 11 p.m. at night. I know, weird. And his team's like, you know, he works really hard during the day on campaign stuff, and he has borough president stuff that he has to do, and that's the only time he can do it. But it just seems odd. After this, Sally and political reporter Joe Anuda start to notice a bunch of inconsistencies in Adam's official paperwork. So he's registered to vote at a particular unit in a building that he owns, but someone else is registered to vote there. And his team said, like, oh, the Board of Elections paperwork is wrong. And he, on his tax returns, which I had requested from him a few months ago, which actually got me started on this story, he never listed any rental income, even though he says he's a landlord. So there were just all of these inconsistencies and then these like late night appearances at Borough Hall. Okay, so fast forward to today. We're just days away from the primary election, and we're still asking ourselves, 
where does the front runner for New York City mayor actually live? So I don't actually know if he's not in New York City. I don't, you know, have any evidence that he's not. But there's definitely he owns, you know, property with his longtime girlfriend in New Jersey. And that's one theory that he's there a lot. The whole saga is just one example of how crazy this election has gotten. And people are paying attention. That reminds me. Let's go see where Olivia is. Okay, going to Manhattan. Hi, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm talking to people about the mayor's race. At the end of the day, as long as the people that are in office are doing at least 75% of their job, 75, I mean, it'll do it. It'll get something done that has not been getting done. What's the response been like? I spoke to someone from Andrew Yang's team and our recent poll, Politico, uh, Telemundo and NBC New York poll shows Andrew Yang slipped to fourth place, right? Yeah. That's a, I think that's a pretty big deal. Eric Adams is still leading the race. Catherine Garcia has has moved forward. Maya Wiley. So they say the polling was conducted before your story, and they suspect that this will have a lot of impact. What do you think? You know, Eric Adams has done, I think, a good job of, I don't think he's answered questions if you're really looking for, like, an explanation that you feel satisfied with. I still find a lot of inconsistencies, but I think he's done a really good job of saying to the general public and to his voters and, you know, maybe to other reporters who don't have all of this information at their fingertips, like, I've worked on behalf of New Yorkers for however many years and people know me and I was a cop and I was a police captain and I was a state senator and this is just crazy and it's just my rival campaigns trying to sink me. And I think he's articulated that message well. I think that a lot of reporters seemed skeptical when we were all talking out after the tour that he really lives there. But, you know, the way news travels in this town, as you and I both know, he has the post on his side. And I think that makes a huge difference because the post endorsed him. And the post is just like a tremendously powerful news outlet that can really shape public opinion. And they have decided, not the reporters, but obviously the leadership of the post has decided that, you know, they're kind of not going to really go after him hard. And I think that has made it easier for other people not to, because I think they set the tone. Could you imagine what their cover page would have been if they were going to go after Eric for this? I mean, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If this were a, if this were Maya Wiley, who they definitely don't like. And it's funny because in 2013, I think we were both there. They endorsed Christine Quinn for mayor, but we right. both wrote tough stories on Christine Quinn. Like there was definitely a lot of space on the news side to go hard at their preferred candidate. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. So I think people... (laughs) They must be so upset about Bill de Blasio. (laughs) I know. I know. Just the New York Post sort of is the screaming voice of New York City, right? It really is. It really is hard to explain to people who don't know it, like, what an influence it has. But as you know, it just has such an influence. It's like seeps in... And it's not subtle. Even people who hate it, they love to hate it, and they still listen to yeah. it in a way. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of public opinion, Sally, let's check back in with Olivia. The next stop is East Broadway. Okay, so you do get picked, and you do become the mayor. But then everything that you said that you was going to do, you go the other way. 
Are you taking the money under the table? Are you getting paid off to not look and deal with certain matters? You see? Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Eric, what's his name? Oh, Eric Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is there something you like about him or? I guess he did a lot for people back when he was a cop, so yeah. Uh, do you guys have any? Who give a fuck about Eric Adams and all the people? <laughs> miss, miss, get out of here. I don't give a fuck who the man is. Okay, well, check back in with you in a bit. Sally, voters will be trying out ranked choice voting for the first time, which I certainly don't seem to understand, even now. And how is that shaking up the race and changing campaign strategies and just voters' calculations at this point? I mean, how do we think about a race that is ranked choice voting? I'm sure it's different. Yeah, I think candidates have been a little bit hesitant to go after, I mean, they certainly criticize each other, but in some cases you see them sort of taking a pass on criticizing each other where they would otherwise, and I think that's because they're hoping to be like second place. So for example, you know, Catherine Garcia, I think is hoping to get a lot of voters from Scott Stringer. Scott Stringer. Sounds like an X-Men. <laughs> yes, there's an X-Men running uh, for mayor. You know, he sort of, his campaign kind of fell apart amid sexual misconduct accusations from, you know, years ago, but they, you know, they surfaced and he really wasn't ever able to like move forward after that. I mean, he's still campaigning, but he's been falling in the polls. Many of his endorsers left him, but Catherine Garcia is trying to get support in his turf of Manhattan. And I think she realizes that there are some people who are still really loyal to him So she's, you know, she's been a little bit critical of him, but you might see her be a lot more critical if it was just a head-to-head election. Because she's hoping to be ranked second, not you tried to destroy my candidate. Yeah, I think she's hoping that on the Upper West Side, where there's a ton of voters and they're very civically engaged, okay, they're still with Scott Stringer, but maybe they'll rank her second because she has kind of a popularity there, having been endorsed by the New York Times. And you see that sort of thing play out, you know, a fair amount. Are you surprised that they didn't endorse uh, Maya Wiley in the New York Times? No, I didn't. I didn't really think they necessarily were going to. I read the transcripts of the interviews. They, you know, they pressed her pretty hard for an answer on what type of a manager she would be. And she kind of didn't answer the question directly. And some members of the editorial board seemed a little bit irritated that she wasn't, you know, if you read the transcript, you could see them saying like, well, just answer the question. Could you just be more brief, get to the point, that kind of thing. So I think they were annoyed with her. They were pretty peeved about her role in the de Blasio administration. Um, And I think Catherine Garcia seemed like, even though at that time she was a much longer shot, She's sort of policy-wise a safe bet for them, you know. Um, She's kind of running on, like, a management and a resume. And I think think they just liked her. Mm. I'm sure they like Maya Wiley's politics, but I could see, having read the transcripts, why she didn't get it. Like, I, I wasn't that shocked. Right. Do you have someone you're backing? No, I, I'm, I'm boiled it down to two people. I boiled it down to Eric Adams and uh, Scott Springer. Well, Eric Adams clearly will, I believe, is of the two, he's the best person for the violence that's going on in the city. He has the experience as being a former police officer. He has experience working in the state legislature and as the borough president. 
Stringer has experience with auditing, but uh, just merely auditing the police department doesn't mean you're going to have a better handle on the situation. So that's my opinion on those two. Sally, why does this race matter to D.C. insiders? Well, if you look at the last two mayors, um, the current one, Bill de Blasio. You got de Blasio, he ain't do shit since he's been in. you know of any of the candidates? Mike Bloomberg? No. <laughs> what, what do you think of Andrew Yang? Not a fan. You left the city during the time we need you the most. And you conveniently come back, and now you know everything about the city? No, I'm, I'm not sold Five on that. The next stop is Bowling Green. Which is do I care about? Housing equity, um, racial equity mostly as a black man. <laughs> I want to go to walk down the street without feeling that I'm going to get harassed or killed or something unnecessary. And Mike Bloomberg before him both ran for president. Mike Bloomberg ran in the 2020 cycle, but thought about running, I think, two or three other times, certainly in 2008 and I think in 2016. Part of that is, of course, his vast fortune, but part of that is the bully pulpit he's afforded by being mayor of New York City. You know, everybody knows that he banned smoking and everybody knows he cares about the climate. And he did, you know, he got tons and tons of coverage for the 12 years he was mayor. Not all of it positive, but nevertheless... You know, he's a household name and not everyone on Wall Street is. That's in large part because he was mayor of New York City. Bill de Blasio ran in 2019 for about four or five months. And again, I don't think that's something he would have done. I mean, certainly not something he would have been able to do if he weren't mayor. These people who become New York City mayor and Rudy Giuliani, uh, of course, before Mike Bloomberg ran for president. So it really is like even if none of them got anywhere in those races, it's it's a nationally recognized job. It's just, I think it's considered one of the top jobs in politics in America after like governor of California and president. So it's not just that they set policy that other cities then pick up on, but they have this bully pulpit and this platform that, you know, people really listen to. Bill de Blasio goes on national TV when there's a, you know, something going on in D.C. and comments on it. You know, Bloomberg spoke at the DNC. Rudy became all the things we know that Rudy Giuliani became. (laughs) America's mayor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then some. And then some. Yeah, and also you have the number one media market in the world at your fingertips, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you have all the TV stations. You have the New York Times right there. You have, you know, the Post and the Daily News Politico, the Wall Street Journal, you have a ton of, and then everybody in in the sort of publications that focus on national politics always kind of zoom into New York when there's a good race. So you'll see, you know, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, you know, New York Magazine, of course, actually, that's in New York. But, you know, you'll see a lot of those publications follow this race, the New Yorkers covering it. This is a Manhattan-bound F local train. Pretty much the, the funding, the police, look at all the crimes. Shootings, everything you turn on the TV, a lot of people are tired of watching that, seeing that, and nothing's being done. Promises are all made, but nothing's being done for years. So as a New Yorker, what do you think outsiders don't get about this? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that people sort of in general think you know, I think people who follow national politics view it as much more 
partisan and ideological than New York City politics is. You know, it's a Democratic primary that will almost certainly determine who the next mayor is. There's not a big Republican presence here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, AOC, of course, was elected in New York, and she's a national figure. But for the most part, these elections, especially executive elections like mayor, they're very much about the mood of the city more so than partisan politics. So Eric Adams is not progressive. I don't know that he would even say he's progressive. You know, he's kind of a moderate, very pro-business. He said the other day that he doesn't support a rent freeze for tenants of rent-stabilized buildings. But he's doing really well. Andrew Yang is kind of almost apolitical. He has some really moderate positions, some more progressive ones. And for a while, he was doing well. You know, I think because both of them tapped into something. With Eric Adams, it was crime going up. And with Andrew Yang, it was just this sort of depression after COVID. So I think a lot, you know, it's really not so much about what is your ideology in a mayor's race. I think it's just kind of like, how closely connected are you to the zeitgeist and how voters are feeling? Right. And some of that can be like hyper local, you know, Homeless people on the subway is a big issue. That's not something you really think about if you're thinking about politics in in a, you know, more of an academic way. Right. You're thinking about the management of the city and who's going to do the best job dealing with the issues that the city has at the time. And it was actually got me thinking um, maybe six or seven months ago, it felt like defund the police was really gaining steam, um, even in New York City. And now it seems to have gone away with the rise of Eric Adams. I think that phrase and that movement ran into problems even before he was doing well, and he is probably doing well because of that. You know, it's kind of two different things. It's partly how the movement was marketed and partly the rise in crime. So, like, to unpack that, I think the word defund is problematic. It means different things to different people, probably by design. But if you are somebody who might be concerned about... um, you know, police brutality and aggressive policing, but want to feel safe, you might be turned off by the word defund because it it could mean abolish the police. And it doesn't literally mean that, but I think it conveys that to some people. So that's part of the problem. And then crime started to go up and people are nervous about that. And most of the polling I've seen shows that there is support for taking some resources away from the NYPD and putting them into social services, but that the sort of absolutism of defund the police doesn't sit well with people. And Eric Adams was on the police force for 22 years. He retired as a captain, and he talks about gun violence and crime all the time and how he wants to combat illegal guns and crime. And I think because crime is going up, it's just really resonating with people, and a defund movement is not at all where this race is. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Well, the main one that I really want in, in, in there is the blue-collar worker and um, Brooklyn Borough President. That's the main one that should be in there because for the simple fact these other cats never came out when people got shot up and families got shot up and, and kids got shot up. I never saw those candidates come up, talk to none of their families or anything. But I always saw him doing it. Eric Adams, I'm assuming, right? Eric. Yeah. And I never seen none of their faces talking to the families that lost children. 
Do you think it's a, going to be a ripple effect to other cities and across the country? Maybe, yeah. I think if, I guess it really depends on what they're dealing with crime-wise. I think it's just really hard to make the argument about, it's hard for candidates to make an, a sort of like critical of police argument when crime is up, even if people do agree with that. So I think it depends on what those you know particular cities are facing. But if Eric Adams wins, it it definitely sends a message about the defund movement not being very popular. If Maya Wiley wins and she is doing well in the polls and she's she's very critical of the police department, you know, maybe that indicates there's still life for that movement, although even she would not say the word defund. I feel as though they're they're not from where we're from. What do you mean? I like think they're 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 more for the them that have, but they're more for them than the ones that don't have. Mr. Adams, okay, every now and then you see him over in East New York, but it's not to do anything for anybody over in East New York, especially in the Pink House area. Nothing. Okay, he tries to play that card like, okay, he got beat up by the police at 15 years old. I'm a survivor of police brutality. So what? That makes you a, 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 a liable candidate for mayor to run this city? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, was there anything about this race that surprised you so far? I know you've covered a ton of mayoral races um, in New York City, but is there anything distinct about this one that makes you, that, that really distinguishes it? I mean, Andrew Yang coming into it was really like the event for a very long time. You know, I hadn't anticipated just because I didn't, you know, we didn't know he was running until he got in in January and the rumors kind of really started in like mid to late December. So he had been like lightly rumored to run after he got out of the presidential. But he's the first person I've covered who like really had no connection to New York politics. I didn't cover Mike Bloomberg's first election, but you know, in 2013 and I covered the 09 race, which was a snoozer, and in 2013, everybody had been, you know, a congressperson, a speaker of the council, uh, you know, city comptroller whatever. Bill de Blasio was the council member and a public advocate. So like you had to do your time, right? <laughs> yeah, you had to do your time. You had this sort of record as a public official and, you know, Andrew Yang coming in with like a lot of name recognition from the presidential, some real natural talent, but no municipal cred on the political scene. You know, he hadn't voted in any mayor's races. That was a big deal. And he didn't really have a natural base because he hadn't run here before. He was, I think he was out of the presidential by the time New Yorkers voted. So covering him was like an interesting experience. And he comes with this very passionate following and passionate detractors. Like everyone who has a feeling about him has a very strong feeling about him. And then I was not expecting uh, Scott Stringer's allegations because he's run so many times before. He ran a really tough race against Elliot Spitzer for city comptroller in 2013. So you would think that would have come out then. So that was really, really surprising. And then there were just like things along the way. This Eric Adams story was very weird and like this candidate who is sort of never broke out from the back of the pack, Diane Morales, who's running the farthest left campaign, had a staff revolt because, I don't long story, but her team wanted to unionize and so on and so forth. And 
So that was kind of a wild story to see the person who's running the farthest left, most pro-worker campaign, have her staff like walk out on her was very weird. So yeah, it's been it's been a very strange race. Hold on. Oh, I forgot about Olivia. So let's see. Skate park. Olivia, are you in a skate park? So my real thoughts are basically voting is a scam. Uh, what really matters is your pro- your productivity during the day. You know, what you do. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Whoa, okay, so will you be voting? No, I will not be voting. Okay, leave it to you, Olivia. Sally, how do you explain Andrew Yang's slippage? He got some really good TV coverage because he's media savvy, but there were some very tough stories about him, and they were sustained over a long period of time about his record, about the fact that he didn't vote, about the fact that he went to New Paltz during, you know, upstate New York uh, to his second home during the pandemic. And those stories just people kept hammering away at him. So I think that's part of it. And I think part of it is that Eric Adams started to spend money, you know, on his own advertising. And he's run for office many times before. So he has a base. You know, he's a base of people who've been voting for him for a long time. And once people started tuning in and seeing his ads, his numbers went up. And that was, I think, always going to happen. And then Yang had a couple of incidents. And I think they were like all kind of clustered close together where he just really screwed up some answers. And it showed a lack of knowledge about certain subjects like police transparency records, domestic violence, homeless shelters, the MTA budget, you know, things that it fed into a narrative. I mean, look, all kinds of candidates make mistakes, but there were a bunch, they were in a row, and they kind of perpetuated a narrative that he doesn't know enough about the civic scene in New York, about New York politics. He didn't do his time. Right. Would you be willing to make a prediction about who you think will win? (sighs) I hate making predictions. All signs point to Eric Adams, but yeah, you just never know. So I'm going to take the easy way out. And <laughs> I don't right. know. But how do you explain the fact that uh, Maya Wiley, she's sort of seen a bump. Do you think that's an AOC bump yeah. or that was just coming because of Scott Stringer? Well, I think they're kind of one in the same. I don't know that AOC would have endorsed her if Scott Stringer hadn't fallen apart. So I think it's all part of the same you know, the same phenomenon. But I, I do think it's an AOC bump. She hasn't changed anything she's saying or doing. Like nothing else about her campaign has changed other than the fact that endorsers have either left Scott to go to her or in the case of AOC and Jamani Williams, who's popular in New York, have, you know, were waiting and then they endorsed. Mm. Was it a little too late in your opinion? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. It it felt too late, but I also think that people really weren't tuning into this race for a while. And, you know, she's in the last two polls, she's climbing. And so, it, you know, maybe she can pull it off. I think right. Eric Adams is going to be tough to beat. Hmm. But What about Catherine Garcia? Could you see her being a wild card, just winning by being the second choice? Ranked candidate the most? Yeah, I mean, rank. I think ranked choice will help a candidate like Catherine Garcia, who has never run before and doesn't have, like, a natural base, but 
does seem to be getting a lot of traction among people who want, you know, as you said before, someone who can manage the city well. That's sort of her whole platform. I think if I were were advising Catherine, the problem seems to be that there are a lot of African-American voters in New York City, and I don't know that, you know, there's three two front-runner candidates who are black and then Ray McGuire, who's in the back of the pack, but has a ton of money to spend. And so not to say that she has no shot in these high voter turnout black communities in Brooklyn and Queens, but I don't know that she's, you know, really done a lot of campaigning there. And that's that's a big deficit. She does seem to be polling really well in Manhattan and in Scott Stringer's base in Manhattan. So it's possible. I mean, she's doing well. And getting the New York Times endorsement and the Daily News endorsement were, you know, very helpful to her. Mm. Um, So the winner of this race, how do you think they're going to impact D.C. politics? I guess it kind of depends on whether they run for something and how well they use the bully pulpit afforded by New York. You know, if they become you can really be like I was saying earlier, you can really be a national voice as New York Mayor Bloomberg was. You're part of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. You can be friendly with Chuck Schumer, who's from New York, of course. You can partner with AOC and other members of the delegation, Hakeem Jeffries. You know, they're prominent members of the delegation from New York. Or you can really just kind of be a local municipal leader who happens to be in New York City. And I guess it depends on what that person wants. You could imagine someone like Andrew Yang, who ran for president, who's like clearly very interested in national politics, making this job something of national interest, either by proposing things that are really out of the box or just like constantly kind of forging relationships in D.C. Whereas someone like Catherine Garcia, I would imagine, would be more of like a real local, a very locally focused mayor. Well, Sally, thanks so much. Love catching up with you. You have the best insights on this. Thanks, Tara. It was great to talk to you, as always. Talk soon, I'm sure. Okay, bye. Bye. And that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amit. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Special thanks to producer Olivia Reingold, who ran around talking to everybody you heard in this episode. Have you heard of Andrew Yang? Uh, no. Have you heard of Eric Adams? Nope. No. Like, no one has been talking about Scott it? Scott Stringer. Nope. No. Maya word. Wiley. No. What else is Pigeon? Hey. Oh, he ran away. Okay. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll take you behind the scenes of what makes Capitol Hill tick next week on another Playbook Deep Dive. Thanks for listening. I know where we are. I've seen I've seen a rat in this station before. Yeah, that, this is where I saw my first rat, actually, now that I'm remembering it. Sorry, what was that? I like Yang. Tell me about him. What do you, what do you like? I don't know. <laughs> Friend or foe? Mean street dog. Goodbye, smoothie. Hello, world. Ugh. Okay. <clears throat> hey, you guys, what do you, what do you think of the night? Who do you want to be mayor? Uh, hey, do you have a moment? My name's Olivia Reingold. <laughs>